And so as you're turning there, let me kind of set us up a little bit. We're uh, tackling a probably pretty difficult topic today, uh, which could be encouraging or discouraging to you because in a lot of ways, no matter how much explaining gets done today at a topic like this, we probably won't uh, blow away all the clouds from the view of the sun today, right? But there is a beautiful view to be had. And the more that we can blow away, the more amazed I think we'll be at the character, person, and work of God. So hopefully we can begin that process, and I actually have a feeling that for some of you in here today that this will actually be a very freeing topic because uh, we we don't talk a lot about uh, these types of things. And so um, I think that it'll be freeing for some of you. For some of you, I also think it will really help in your Bible reading. And so actually one of my goals today is to make you fall in love with the Old Testament, particularly the first five books, particularly books like Leviticus and Numbers where we often, you know, you're doing like the Bible and you have like, I'm going to do the Bible in a year. And you get through Genesis and you get through Exodus and then you get into like Leviticus and it's like, and so you've read Genesis and Exodus more than anything else. But I want us to kind of fall in love with the Old Testament a little bit and especially the way that we see uh, the law heavy portions and even that of the New Testament as well, where we see kind of law heavy portions. We're going to see a little bit about the law. So what Jesus is doing here today to set you up is in one sweeping motion, he's going to cover the law. Now, the law is a very large section of the Old Testament. And so just so that we're all clear what we're talking about, Jesus, as you'll see here in verse uh, uh, 16 and 17, says that he's come to fulfill all the law and the prophets. We'll look at that in a minute. But just so that we're on the same page, what Jesus is saying is from Genesis chapter 1 to Malachi chapter 4, this is what we're talking about, what you and I would generally call the Old Testament. And so the reason I say it's confusing for a lot of us is that a lot of people don't really know what to do with the law. Like, 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 how do we interact with this Old Testament law where it says really, really weird things like, why can Christians eat shellfish now? Right? Like, like you've probably heard that maybe even as a knock against Christianity and our consistency, or why can we shave certain portions of our head? Right? Like, why don't we slaughter animals anymore? How come we can eat bacon? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Amen. Right? Like, like, why, like, why is this going on? Do we still follow the Ten Commandments or no? What about the other moral laws that we see in the Old Testament? Are, are we still under those? Should we follow them? And so, if you're not a Christian, how does the law, uh, kind of bring bearing on the good or the bad that you do? Like, like, how do you interact with that? And if you are a Christian, how do you understand it and not really disregard it, but yet at the same time not be enslaved to it? Like, it's confusing. Did you see what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of questions that people often have regarding the law. Not only this, but we're also covering 32 verses today, okay? Some of you are like, oh, Lord, we're going to be here till 430. All right, don't worry, okay? What we're actually going to do is we're going to zoom into four particular verses, and then we'll show how Jesus is just reiterating this idea over and over and over again throughout the rest of chapter 5, okay? And so, you ready? I don't even know why I asked that. Like, what are you going to say, no? I'm still going to go in, right? Okay, so here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now, remember, Jesus is teaching a fairly hard sermon to hear. Whenever Jesus sees multiple people gathering around him, it's usually when he comes to and kind of gives the gut punch in some ways, right? Like, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow me. Jesus is going against the grain of what our natural thinking would be. And in a lot of ways, we're calling this an upside-down kingdom, kind of what we naturally perceive that it looks like to follow Christ, Jesus kind of turns that on its head very frequently. And so these may be the most shocking words that are uttered in scripture. And you'll see why in a little bit, but Jesus says three things here that are utterly shocking when you read them in its context and it's very, very fascinating, okay? Now, just so that we get a good gauge of what we're gonna do today, uh, verses 17 and 18 specifically deal with Christ in the law, Okay, and then verses 19 and 20 deal with the Christian in the law or the Christ follower in the law. So Jesus is setting up two different examples here and he uh, accentuates or magnifies both of those in, in very profound ways. So we'll tackle each in part, okay? Firstly, Christ in the law, the first two verses, like notice the gravity of what Christ is saying here. Jesus is saying a very weighty, weighty, important statement. He says, I did not come to abolish or to get rid of or to destroy the law. Jesus never spat on the law. Jesus never discredited the law. <clears throat> Jesus never uh, 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 sort of looked the other way at the law. In fact, Jesus says, I have come to do the exact opposite. I have come to fulfill it to perfection, I follow every single aspect of the law. In fact, Galatians chapter four, verse four tells us that Christ was born under the law or in submission to the law. And so Jesus not only didn't come to uh, uh, abolish it or get rid of it, he actually submitted himself underneath the law. He followed it to a T. So Jesus isn't contrary to the law or the prophets. The exact opposite is true. He's the same as them. And so uh, uh, throughout all the Old Testament, like Jesus is showing, hey, look, I'm going to follow every single one of these things to a key. And so firstly, he says that he fulfills the prophets, right? We'll look at the law portion of the second, but he said that he comes and he fulfills the prophets. Every single Old Testament prophecy or prediction that was about Jesus, Jesus said, I have come to fulfill those. Now, that may not sound like a whole lot to you, but that is an utterly profound statement because you can't predict what you're going to have for dinner tonight, Okay, and Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, mind you, like this is Matthew chapter five. We have another 23 chapters to go. Jesus said, I have come and I fulfill all of the prophets. That is a profound and a very weighty, weighty statement. Now you may say, well, why is that profound? Well, there are certain prophecies that are very, very hard to fulfill. Some of them are pretty natural, like the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and we see Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But then there are other ones that say things like the Messiah would be born of a virgin, 
Well, that's kind of impossible, all right? But yet Jesus says, no, 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 that happened to me. There are other ones that are profound, like the Messiah would die a death of crucifixion, which when the uh, prophet penned that how the Messiah would die is through a piercing through his hands and his feet and his side, crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. In fact, it wouldn't even be invented until 400 years after that prophet wrote that. And so that by itself is fascinating. Jesus, three years removed from his death, says, oh yeah, that's how I'm going to die by the way, I'm going to fulfill all the prophecies. And so that is an unbelievable statement. Okay. So let's do a little bit of math here. Okay. I'm going to get a little bit nerdy here. All right. So let me put my nerd glasses on. All right. Ready? So we're going to do a little bit of math. And I want you to look at the different uh, uh, probabilities of somebody kind of fulfilling some of these things. Okay. So this will be on the screen, but the probability that you individually will get cancer is one in two. Start off on a hot track, right? All right, so half of us in here, this half of the room, sorry, we're all going to get cancer, right? Like, that's a, that's a pretty strong, so if I predicted, oh, half of you are going to get cancer, like, that's not that profound. Like, that's just probably going to happen. One in 175 of you will be audited by the IRS, all right? I'm tempted to make a political joke here, but I will refrain, Okay. One in, there's a one in 5,000 chance that UT will win the national championship this year. I wrote this on Thursday. There's no more chance of that, all right? That ain't happening, okay? But, all right, there's a one in 8,000 chance that you will be killed in a car accident. That's how you're going to die. So if there are 8,000 of us, somebody in here is dying by a car accident, all right? There's a one in 520,000 chance that you'd be killed by a cow. Now, listen, I wrote that up there because that's profound to me. Like, how is it that 500,000 people, there's somebody that dies by a cow? Like, that's pretty astounding. Like, does the cow, like, stomp on them? Like, is it a mad cow? What's going on? Okay. Uh, there's a one in 700,000 uh, chance that you will get struck by lightning. So you see, I'm, I'm going down, right? Now, uh, just by curiosity, does anybody know somebody in here that's been struck by lightning? One, two, three. There's usually a couple, okay? So you see it happens, right? One in 700,000. If we put all of our collective knowledge, we probably know, what, three million people or so when it's all said and done, just kind of loosely know them. Like my aunt's second cousin got struck by, I've never met them, but that's what I've heard and she's kind of crazy anyway, right? Like, and so that's what goes on. Okay, that Jesus would fulfill just eight prophecies, okay? That Jesus would fulfill eight prophecies it's a 1 in 10 to the 28th power chance, okay? Or written out, it looks like that, okay? Now, compare them with the other ones. Go to the next slide, and you see that fulfilling eight prophecies would be like getting struck by lightning 7,000 times. Anybody know anybody has had that happen to them? <laughs> right? This is just eight prophecies. How many prophecies do you think Jesus fulfilled? 360, 353, that was, who said that? Do you know that? Of course you know that. <laughs> Cameron's great, she really knows the Bible well. 353 is the conservative number, actually, of how many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Some people would actually say there are some other ones that actually extended almost upwards to 400. So Jesus fulfilled 353 prophecies, yo. This is the chances that he would fulfill eight when Jesus comes and says, I am going to fulfill all of the prophets, all of the prophecies that are made about me, I'm going to do them. And then we read in Jesus's life and we go, oh, wow, like, like he's done these things. That is an astounding claim. 
That is an unbelievable claim that Jesus would come and fulfill everything in the Old Testament that's written about him, right? Like I'm, I'm getting a little bit too hyped too early in the sermon and I have allergies, my throat's hurting. So we're trying to tone it down. But like, this is fascinating. Like Jesus is truly the Messiah. If that doesn't do something to your heart, like I would actually pray even right now that it would awaken a little bit to an astounding truth like this. Like that's unbelievable. And that's eight out of 353. That's unbelievable, right? Even more than that, though, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill all of the law as well. So it's not just the predictions that are made about Jesus, but he also fulfills the law. Every single type or figure or expression that you see in the Old Testament, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill that. So Jesus kept all of the moral law, we call it. He never sinned is the way that we usually use that phrase. He did it to perfection, but he also kept all of the judicial and all these ceremonies ceremonial law, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in other words, Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. He is our king or our priest, or he is the true temple, he calls himself. So everything that we see in the Old Testament, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill that. I don't contradict it at all. In fact, if the law could put on a human frame, it would look like me. Jesus is the Torah with a face. Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament. That's astounding. That's why we can't discredit the Old Testament or kind of be like, ah, I don't really understand it. In fact, when we see all those things and we kind of get burdened and we're like, man, these are a lot of rules, you should think somehow Jesus fulfilled every single one of these. That's astounding that a man would come and make that claim. This guy's either a lunatic or there's something to this man, right? Like he is either a crazy guy who is saying something that's impossible Or maybe he's actually God made flesh. And Jesus is saying, I am God made flesh. St. Augustine, one of the patriarchs of our faith, once said, the New Testament is latent in the Old Testament and the Old Testament is patent in the New Testament. Okay, don't worry. I didn't know what those words meant either. I had to look them up, all right? Some of you may. You're like, I know what they mean. because you're English majors. I wasn't, all right? I went to Detroit public schools, okay? So I don't know those words, right? I'm gonna somehow throw a joke about Detroit in every Sermon on the Mount thing, all right? Um, latent uh, simply means it's concealed. It exists, but it's not fully developed. That's the definition. It, it exists, it's there, but it's not fully developed or fully able to be seen. And patent is easily recognizable. Hence the way we use the term patent. You put a patent on it, it's easily recognizable. So the New Testament is existing, but it's just not fully developed in the Old Testament. It's there, we just can't fully see it. We can't fully get a grasp on it, which is why in the New Testament, they quote things sometimes from the Old Testament and you're like, that's what it's saying? And it's like, yes, that's what it's saying. It's, the, it, we're, it's being revealed more so. But the Old Testament is is very clearly seen in the New Testament because Christ is the fulfillment of all of that for us. He fulfills the law to perfection. He removes the veil, if it were, okay? Scott McKnight says this, we must consider the mind-nubbing claim here by Jesus. He is claiming that he fulfills in a salvation, historical, theological, and moral manner what the Torah and the prophets anticipated and predicted and preliminarily thought, or taught. What kind of person makes claims like this? It is one thing to say, as Jesus could have, I can do miracles as mighty as Elijah, or I can predict the future as clearly as did Isaiah, or I can do miracles as astounding as Moses. It's an all 
uh, uh, all together, that should read, different claim that he himself fulfills the Torah and the prophets. It's an unbelievably different claim. This is a beautiful truth. And so Christ is saying, I have come to fulfill or make plain or to satisfy every condition of the law. Now we'll get more into the implications of this in a second, but just in case we don't understand verse 17, he then reiterates himself in verse 18. Even as you see, the Sermon on the Mount starts in third person, and then it moves into second person, and then now what we're reading is this first person authoritative, powerful claim where he switches from the you or y'all, how we say it here in Texas, right, to you guys should, to I tell you, truly, truly, I say to you, which whenever you see Jesus say, truly, I I say, what you should realize is that everything Jesus says is true, okay? But what he's saying is, I'm about to tell you a truth that's going to be really hard to understand and to believe, but it's true. Like, truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you will never taste death. I know that's crazy to say because you think you die, but the Christian doesn't actually really die. He just immediately transforms into this newness of life. He doesn't feel the sting of death. So Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Where is your curse? It has no power over us. Jesus says, I know that's astounding, but, but this is true. And so Jesus says another one here, okay? I have come to literally fulfill every single aspect of the law, every iota and dot, he would say, or the way we would say it is uh, you cross your T's and dot your I's. That's the English verb of the same thing that Jesus is saying. I have done every single thing down to the smallest little Hebrew mark, the mark that goes under what looks like a W, that little dot. I fulfill every single thing, even to the little dot of the law. I am who I say that I am. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He has not come to destroy or indeed to modify, even to the slightest extent, the teaching of the law or the prophets. He has come, he tells us, rather to fulfill and carry them out and to give them a perfect obedience. There we see the central claim which was made by our Lord. It is, in other words, that all the law and all the prophets point to him and will be fulfilled in him down to the smallest detail. It is the most stupendous claim that he ever made. Indeed. And so we see Christ and the law, and hopefully you get a picture of that a little bit. This is how Christ interacts with the law. This is what he feels about the law. This is how we can understand the law through the picture of Christ. But what about the Christian in the law? So the next two verses we see. So here's Jesus in the law, but what do we do now? Those who want to follow Jesus, who are interested in following Jesus, or who do indeed follow Jesus, like how do we interact with the law? Well, verse 19 makes another astounding claim. But it's kind of a weighty, almost terrifying claim that if you relax, even the least bit of the law, even the law that seems kind of most insignificant, if you relax this, I mean, you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. And what he means by that isn't, oh, you'll get in, but you'll kind of be like the janitor in heaven. You'll see in a couple of verses later, he says, you're not even going to get in. If you relax these, sorry, like you're not going to be able to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that may not sound like that crazy of a claim, but let me tell you the weightiness of that and why we can see where we stand within that. You've relaxed the law a little bit, like haven't you? Like most of you all in here have dated somebody before, okay? And so you're dating, right? And you just really, 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 really like the person, 
like really, really like them, you know, and you kind of get the feels for them a little bit, you know, and then you start asking yourself, if you're a Christian, kind of what do you start asking? Well, like how far is too far, right? You start asking, am I the only sinner up here, right? Like you do this, (laughs) right? Like you start asking like, hey, like how far can I go? Like I know that the Bible tells me that sex before marriage is not a good thing. So I'm, I'm going to honor that portion of the Bible. I'm going to try my hardest not to do that. But how far can I go? What are you doing but trying to relax the law? Because if you read in verses 27 through 30, that very question is actually coming from a negative motivation. You've already committed adultery in your heart, Jesus would say. All of us relax the law. Like, I know scripture says I, I can't get drunk, but like, like how much, like, is, is getting buzzed okay? Like, like, is a little bit, like, like have you not done that? Right? Or, or, or maybe it's, hey, I, I know lying is bad, but like, what about these little white lies? In fact, don't these do good things in the end? <laughs> like, I'm doing this to actually do good, and you try to justify or relax the law a little bit right? Uh, It's cool. Uh, You know, you shouldn't slander and gossip anyone, but as long as it's done in a prayer request, (laughs) all right? I'm just concerned about the person, (laughs) you may say, right? Uh, What are you doing but trying to relax the law? The law says don't slander or gossip, period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that, but what do we do? We try to relax the law. The claim that Jesus makes here is actually a very weighty claim. It's almost impossible, actually, for us to bear in that way. And so maybe this doesn't convict you, but then the next verse definitely should. Because verse 20, Jesus says, your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Anybody here feeling that righteous, right? Notice, not the scribes or the Pharisees, but the scribes and the Pharisees combined. You have to have a greater righteousness than both of those people combined. Now, the Pharisees were trying to be so righteous that they made up a book about how to interpret the law that was three times bigger than the law itself. Like, you think you get tired reading through Leviticus? Imagine reading through that, where they're trying to explain Leviticus and they add laws on top of the laws, That's how righteous the Pharisees were trying to be. The Pharisees tithe mint and cumin, okay? They tithe their spice rack, right? Like any of you in here bringing mint today to drop in the tithes and offerings, right? Don't do that, by the way. We don't want our money smelling like spearmint. That's kind of weird, right? But like like literally, they were so righteous. They were like, hey, even our our spices are the Lord's. We're going to tithe even this. That's how much they tried to follow the law. So this is an astounding statement. You won't get into heaven unless you have more righteousness than the scribes, oh yeah, and the Pharisees combined. Who the heck can stand under that weight? Who can do that? Who can feel that? Who can get into heaven? Jesus is saying an astounding thing here. John Stott says this, To loosen the law's hold on our conscience and its authority in our life is an offense to God whose law it is. Not only is greatness in the kingdom assessed by a righteousness which conforms to the law, but entry into the kingdom is impossible without conformity, better, much better, the Greek expression is very emphatic, than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. For God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness." But surely someone will protest. Weren't the scribes and the Pharisees famous for their righteousness? Did they not calculate that the law contains 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions? And did they not aspire to keeping them all? 
How can the Christian righteousness be made a condition of entering God's kingdom? Does this not teach a doctrine of salvation by good works and so contradict the first beatitude, which says the kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit who have nothing, not even righteousness to plea? What are we to do with a statement this astounding, Stott is saying? Like Jesus is making a fascinating claim. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook either. And so here's the rest of the Sermon on the Mount for us. So with this in our mind, this righteousness, now hear this. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Yikes, Jesus. I thought you wanted followers. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to, or, yeah, yeah, while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, now there are some great practicals here. There's a lot of practical truth that we can gain, but I want to do this for the sake of the day. We'll, we'll uh, 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 miss some of the practical truth, and then hopefully when you see where we land, you can come back to it and fulfill it in, okay? But here's what I want to do. Any of you ever broken this, Right? Like, if any of you ever had anger in your heart towards someone, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's uh, your spouse, okay, don't raise your hand too high when I tell you raise your hand, all right? Like, maybe it's your uh, friend, maybe it's an elder at the church, maybe it's, I, I don't know, like, there's a list of on and on and on. Has any of you, either in the past or maybe even right now, when I start naming some of those names, feel like you know you have a little bit of rage, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of anger in your heart towards someone? Has anybody ever felt that way? Okay, no. Don't, don't like, okay, look, put your hand though. It's all right, all right? Look around, look around, okay? Almost everybody in this room and the five people who haven't, right? <laughs> I mean, I ain't judging you, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> like, like, like to have anger in our heart towards someone, like, man, what if they wrong us? What if they offend us? What if they hurt us? What if they, Jesus says, yeah, it doesn't matter. If you have anger in your heart, you've already murdered them. You've created the greater offense and you are liable to not getting into the kingdom, but the exact opposite. What do we do? The 96% of people who had their hands up a second ago. Jesus keeps going. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay, so let's not do all of history, okay? Like in the past month. Have any of you ever glanced with a lustful intent? Maybe you kind of check the person out a little bit too long. Maybe you think emotionally a little bit. Maybe you spouse wonder a little bit. Like, has any of you done that in the past month, let's just say? All the married people are a little bit less willing to raise their hands, right? <laughs> I mean, right? Like, I have, did you raise your hand? 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> right? Like, like, man, this is, like, this, we're, we're in trouble here, right? Because all of us in the past month, in the past week, for sure in our lifetime, at some point has done that. I mean, it only takes watching a movie where they kind of accentuate this for you to actually break this commandment. Does it not? I mean, unless your righteousness is a lot greater than the scribes and the Pharisees and mine, like, I know when I see that stuff, that, that stumbles me, right? According to Jesus. And so what do we do with this heavy claim? I'm going to read the rest of what he does. He does this over and over and over again. And I want you to think about all these claims that he's making. Where are you at in regards to this? Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I mean, this is hard to hear, is it not? Like Jesus is saying some really, really hard truths. What are we supposed to do with these truths? Because every single one of these were under to some extent one way or another. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of our great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, you, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything other than this comes from evil. Like, didn't you, when you were in elementary school, say, I swear to God. That's evil, Jesus says. And you're a lawbreaker, and your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and punch him back. Is that what it says? No. Turn and offer your other one also. And if anyone uh, would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Y'all do that? You pray for those? Do you intercede? Do you spend time fasting and praying for those who persecute you? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? No. Weighty, weighty, right? In case you weren't getting what I'm saying, Jesus says, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Anybody feel like that? Right? Like anybody feel perfect in here, right? Like we're not going to raise our hands at that, right? Lest we get struck by lightning and like run over with rhinos or something, okay? Like we're not there. I don't know where the rhinos came from. <laughs> that was the most... That's why you should stick to your notes, all right, right? Yeah, you get stomped by a cow, right? Like, like unless that's you, okay? Like, like, you realize that, man, this, like, we're not really measuring up. We're not doing what God has called us to do. If the roller coaster says we have to be this high in order to ride the, the roller coaster of heaven, ain't none of us measuring up to that measuring stick. In fact, if every single one of us stands on top of the shoulder of another, we still fall short of that measuring stick, how do we measure up to these impossible claims of Jesus? What do we do, right? Like, like, how do we do this? Well, we go back to week one. 
Anybody in here feeling rich in spirit right now? Like you just got it so spiritually together that you can do this by yourself. You don't need help. You don't need a savior. You can put yourself together enough. You can uh, achieve goodness or righteousness or even heaven if you do enough good deeds. Like, like none of us feel like that when we get weighed and tested under the true test of God. But in week one, Jesus says, that's the point. We are poor in spirit. But blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. That's who's going to get into the kingdom. The people that realize, I don't have what it takes. Because what happens in that? That creates mourning. We feel like, oh man, how do we do this? Which creates humility. Which then it says in verse 6, that if you seek righteousness, you will be satisfied. Why? Because Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus came to fulfill every single portion of the law. Friends, that's why when Jesus says, I do the law to perfection, I am the Torah made flesh, this is what the law looks like, that's why that's an astounding claim because we cannot measure up to the measuring stick of God, but Jesus did. Jesus wrote that ride. Jesus passed that test. Jesus did what we could not do. This is why it's a, a, a fascinating claim. Because by belief in Jesus, we actually get what he deserved, the kingdom of heaven. But he got what you deserve, the hellfires, wrath, all of what we just read in those verses. In fact, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Actually, it's on the screen. You'll have to turn there if it's going to take you long. I just want to read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him you might be the righteousness of God. This is my favorite verse in the Bible about salvation. He made him, Jesus, to be, what's that word? Not like it, not in it. He made Jesus to be sin itself. All the ugliness that we have, all the profanity and all the, 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 the destruction that our lives create, all the profuse things, like Jesus became that so that in him, you might become the righteousness of God. Friends, do you see God's fascinating love for you? God loves you so much that he would take on human form and die the death that every single one of us in here should have died so that you can receive his righteousness, so that you can be children of God, sons and daughters of the king. Friends, God's love for you is astounding. God loves you, friends. Don't you see his affections for you? This is what the gospel proclaims, that even though none of us measure up, Jesus loves us so much that he would pay for us, that he would do what it takes to win us to himself. All of our lust and lying, adultery, Jesus paid for that on the cross. And his righteousness surpasses every single scribe and every single Pharisee combined throughout all of human history. His righteousness is better than theirs. And so if you believe in him, he gives you that righteousness, and therefore so is yours. And so do you see the weight of the passage that Jesus is giving us here? Like his affections for us. He frees us from the weight of the law, we say. The law came, Galatians tells us, Romans tells us, to show us our need for a savior. It was our schoolmaster to point us to Christ, to show us we cannot measure up. Uh, Paul says in Galatians that it actually added to or increased our sin. It's not that we sin more. It's that we were able to actually see it for what it was. Oh, wow. It's not just adultery. It's actually lust. Oh, shoot. I do that. 
right? Like we see it for what it is. And so it points us to our need for a savior. Friends, we are now under the weight of the law. If you are trying to work yourself into a relationship with God, man, kick that weight out from under you and believe in the savior. He is able to give you righteousness that your heart desires. You don't have to be all put together. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have every answer about God. You don't have to. You're never going to. You don't measure up. But he did. And the law shows us that we need a savior. However, at the exact same time, the law also then frees us to be able to live a life for God. It actually delivers us from our, uh, 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 the weight of the burden of the law, but it also frees us from our licentiousness or doing whatever pleases us, doing whatever we want to do. We don't kind of try to work ourselves to God as a Pharisee, but we're also not irreligious. We do care about righteousness. We seek it. We try to find God. We have to have both of these things, the spirit and the truth, he would say in John 4. And so the law now is actually freeing. Because now, instead of you feeling crushed by the weight of the law, you're able to remove that weight, stand on top of that law, and use that as a way by which you grow your relationship with the Savior. Are you tracking with that? And so when it says, don't lust and I lust, I feel the weight of that at times, but not the weight of salvation, but rather I realize that if I were to follow his commands to perfection, I would have the life that he has designed for me, which is a life full of joy. My commands are not burdensome, Jesus would say. And so now I can take the law and use that in a way to grow in my relationship with Christ. I don't try to gain my salvation from it. I can't do it. It shows me I need salvation outside of myself. But now that I've found that salvation in Jesus, I can go back to the law and see what it looks like to follow Christ and begin to try to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. This is what the whole book of Galatians, I mean, uh, Romans was about. Paul over and over and over again says, look, you need a savior, but once you have him, man, you can follow him. Or James says it very simply, that faith without works is dead. Look, if you have faith, it's going to produce goodness. There's going to be a life change. You're, you're going to look different. I don't lust as much as I used to. I'm not as angry as I used to. Yes, I still do that. So I still need a savior and I run to him, but I can now also begin to look more and more and more like him. So remember the question that we asked at the start, why can you eat bacon now, right? Some of you are like, oh yeah, it's lunchtime, I'm getting hungry, okay? Don't worry, last point here, okay? Like, why can I eat bacon? Well, Jesus, there's three aspects to the law, okay? There's the ceremonial, the judicial, and the moral. What we say is that Jesus came and fulfilled the ceremonial law to perfection. The reason we don't slaughter a lamb is because Jesus was our perfect lamb. He fulfilled that ceremony. You tracking with that? And so that means when you believe in him, you do kill a lamb. It's Jesus. You do offer your gifts at the temple. It's Jesus. You do fulfill every aspect of the ceremonial law because now he is that for us, which is why we no longer go to Jerusalem and cut open a lamb. Because Jesus is that. We do that whenever we believe in him. 
Well, what about the judicial law, you may ask? Well, in the judicial law, Jesus is now our king. Hebrews over and over talks about him being the new Melchizedek, if you will, that he's initiated a new kingdom, a a new reign. We are not the nation of Israel anymore. He has come and stood on top of that. He is the king that is reigning. We are now the nation of the church. And so in believing in Jesus, we fulfill the judicial law. That's why I didn't get stoned when I disobeyed my parents. Thank Jesus even more than for being able to eat bacon, right? Because I was a pretty rebellious little kid. Like, like, how can we do that? But, okay, you say, well, what about the moral law? Well, that's what we were just talking about. You're not under the weight of it anymore, but you're free to actually be able to do it to your fullness. So now, when I feel the weight of my anger that used to crush me and I knew it was wicked, when I feel that, I still feel the weight of that. But I go, Jesus, I need your help. I need a savior. Could you please help me? And then he delivers me from that. And he begins to work on me. And the Holy Spirit shows me, hey, chill out, bro. It's all right. Right? And he convicts me of sin. And I read scripture and I realize, okay, I can give this over to Jesus. And slowly but surely, I use the law to begin to look more and more like Christ. Now, instead of the law using me and beating me down, I use the law to know my Savior. And this is the relationship that the Christian has with the law. And so Jesus, what he's saying here is profound. Friends, if you don't have Christ... How do you get to a perfect God? You don't measure up, but you can have him. Like Jesus died that we would all come to know him. And if you do have Christ, look friends, you can be free from that guilt and burden that you feel over here, but you can also be free to not live with the consequences of your licentiousness, but rather you can realize that God's commands are not burdensome, that to follow him does equal your best life. And you can grow in your faith because you can say, even though I don't understand why I can't do this, I'm going to trust you. And that's faith. And as you grow in that faith, you grow in your relationship with the Lord, not burdened by it, but also using it to know and love Jesus. We can never blow away the clouds from this fully, but I hope you see the weightiness of the law and that Jesus came to fulfill that to perfection because he loves you. And so let's just take one tiny portion of that, okay, to finish us. This is it. Don't miss this. One tiny portion. The anger against your brother. He says, don't even come offer a gift. Go reconcile. And if you don't do that, you're liable to hellfire. Didn't Jesus have something against you? Like, didn't you sin against Jesus? He said, if your brother sins against you, go make reconciliation. Didn't you sin against Jesus? And so he left the altar of God and came down to earth to make reconciliation. And then he takes us and offers us back as a gift to the Father. Jesus fulfills the law for us to perfection. So now we can realize what he's done for us. And then when we have that same hostility, act like him and begin to do the same and thereby become children of God that look like God, that live an upside down life in this twisted world. I love you guys. Let's pray.